Good day, and welcome to another episode of the Discipleship Bible Study Group, DBSG. And we come to you weekly with a review and analysis from a Christian point of view about the Word, the Bible, and how it applies to our lives daily with a touch of psychology, astronomy, and science mixed in. I'm your host, Brother Rob, and my co-host is Brother Fred. Say hello, Brother Fred. Hello, hello, hello out there. And this week, we're going to be discussing what's going on in the world, current events, where we're going to take a look at some current events topics that are at the forefront of what we're listening to and hearing daily. Um, this week was at the forefront of our news, what we're reading, what we're hearing, what we're streaming, our drugs, politics, the COVID vaccine, and gun violence. So today we're going to explore those issues through the perspective of Christians as to how we as Christians living our lives daily attack these issues, cope with them, struggle with them, and confront them so that we can stay and remain true to the word and to our lifestyles and our life commitments. And Brother Fred, why don't you expound on the topics for us today in terms of how we as Christians deal with these pressing issues before us today? Well, these four pressing issues, uh, drugs, gun violence, politics, uh, and the COVID-19 um, vaccine and, and COVID-19 disease itself is, is very sad and, and it culminates uh, with a lot of other issues that is going on in the world. Uh, we still got people who are starving to death. Uh, the murder rates have gone up. Um, it, it's just horrible. We're, we're truly in the last days of man. There are people suffering and struggling, dying. Um, there's famines, more famines, natural disasters have increased. We actually did a um, podcast on that alone. And, you know, I'm saying, I'm bringing all this up for a point. As, as a believer in God, you know, we always have hope because you know, the Holy Ghost in us gives us that hope. It, we know where we're going when we leave this planet, but we're human. And while we here, while we are here, we can see all the devastation and, and, you know, all the horrible things that is occurring. And it can't help but sadden you uh, because we are believers. And we know that the only true way of getting through any of this is to be a believer, is to, is to love God, is to trust God, to put all your eggs in his basket and let, you, and let him control your life and lead you to a better place in all these situations. So, you know, I, I, let's, let's start with um, drugs and more specifically um, marijuana, THC, because okay. it's like the biggest boom in America right now, right? Right, it's becoming uh, something we're seeing and smelling everywhere. <laughs> you got you got that right. <laughs> you, what's so funny is I was going I was going to work one day and I was in my parking lot and right right next door to us is a um, one of those big gyms and these guys these two guys were standing out there at you know, I don't know eight o'clock in the morning smoking a marijuana joint and they just letting it all hang out they didn't you know they were kind of off to the side but you know right. that that awful stench 
That's what I call it. You can smell yeah. it anywhere. And there's not too many people in America that doesn't know what it is. Um, I looked at some stats, uh, Brother Rob, and, um, you know, about 50% of, of the Americans polled say at some point in their life, they tried it at least once. So, yeah, that makes sense. You know, everybody goes to college or in high school and the peer pressure that's around to try it, especially in his days when it was very prohibited. And, you know, you were going to jail easily for even being near someone who had it. You know, it makes sense that, you know, young people would be tempted, you know, to, to take it. I'm surprised it's not higher than what you said. That's that. Well, another stat in 2019, they did a poll and 12 percent um, said that they were chronic smokers, meaning that they smoked almost every day or, I don't know, three or four times out of a week. <laughs> right. Chronic smoker. And it's pretty interesting. That's 2019. I'm sure those stats are even higher now because in 2019 to, to 2021, more states have legalized it. We're going through this pandemic. There's more people depressed and upset and people lost their jobs. And so how do you combat that? In the world, you get high. You know, I was listening to this one comedian. He was talking about, oh, man, I can't believe it. I just lost my job. Want to get high? <laughs> <laughs> my wife is cheating on me with, cheating on, on me by, with my brother. You want to get high? <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, we laughing at it, but it's, it's just so sad because when I see people in my own family, and I'm not going to mention any names because, you know, we're not on here to put, expose anybody, but in my family, and I, I think marijuana affects every family in America has some sort yeah, of yeah. drug or alcohol abuse right. issue. And when, when my family get together, like, you know, when we have gatherings and they they're like zombies. When one of them know that the other one has it, they're like <laughs> grouped together like a bunch of flies on, on a hot dog or something, you know? Right. But let me throw this at you. You know, as Christians, you know, is there anything in the Bible that addresses drug use or, and I guess not specifically marijuana use, but, you know, as Christians, what are the things that, where should a Christian stand on that? I mean, is it more of just that, the influence of drugs is what is a concern for Christians, or is there something in the Bible specifically that's, that addresses drug use from your, your perspective? Right. If you look at a lot of the other harmful drugs that's in America right now, most of them have to be processed. You know, you take the natural plant or whatever is like, right, a like hobby, a hemp, cannabis or whatever, cannabis or whatever and you have to yeah. process it to get it to, um, it's, potent. it's potency or, or whatever mm -hmm. to set it up, you know, for, for the, the user. But marijuana is one of those things. You could be a total moron and, and grow a marijuana plant. All you need <laughs> is light water and, and a pot and you, and you could grow pot. So it's, right. it's, it's interesting and it's natural. So, you know, I listen to people's beef and they say, well, you know, it's natural. It can't be that bad. And, it grows on the earth and well i'm thinking well there's a lot of things that grow on the earth there's certain mushrooms that grow on this earth that if you eat them they will take you off this earth so just because right. it grows naturally doesn't make it a great thing so right. bible makes it kind of clear indirectly uh it doesn't say don't smoke marijuana 
or you'll never see Jesus, you'll never see the kingdom of God. But what it basically does state is anything that keeps you away from God is a sin. So, and, and we, we talked about this before in another podcast that right. you sit down every day, and eat a bag of potato chips instead of reading your Bible and praying, then you're sinning, you know, because right. you're not spending time with God. So if you're high as a kite, I can't see, I've never, ever seen anybody get high as a kite and want to sit and pray to God afterwards. They'll talk about God. They'll talk about almost anything. They'll talk about space and science. Do you believe in aliens? Do you, you know, they'll talk about anything because they get very chatty when they get high. But I never see nobody get serious and say, okay, I'm high now. So um, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray to God about this, you know, about life. You just don't see it because it is a sin. And when you're sinning, the last thing you want to do is address God. It it comes automatically. There's a distinction. There's a wall between you and God when you're doing these things. So why why do you think people smoke pot? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're in a world where, well, it really could be a myriad reasons, but... I think some are actually coping with stuff that they're dealing with, you know, whether it's stress or trauma, you know, and some people, you know, there's all different ways to address that, but, you know, it's easy to go to drugs to be taken away or to change your, to have an emotional shift from whatever emotional state you're dealing with or coping with. And, you know, it's very interesting to see what motivates people to do that because on the one hand, you have some people who are just, who are just, you know, indulging in the feeling and the temptation of it. You know, maybe, you know, it's not a deep thing that they're scarred or traumatized emotionally. They're just more like, oh, it's fun to do. It makes me feel a certain way. Let me go for it. And that kind of speaks to, you know, what you say with things taking you away from God and from the Bible and, you know, going towards what basically is the devil's playland. And then you have others, though, who are coping with something serious and they feel that is what, you know, helps them cope. You know, maybe they are dealing with some type of grief or, you know, they went through a traumatic experience that they haven't really gotten any help for. And, you know, they're going for that. But then you have other people who say that it helps them medically. And that's kind of been the big issue. You know, if you're taking marijuana as a medical remedy, you know, it's a great area. You know, it's, you know, there are studies out there that probably support a medical uh, remedy towards something rather than taking a prescribed remedy. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a very great area because, you know, on one hand, you have to look to and say how many people may use the medical remedy excuse as a way to just get marijuana legally and enjoy themselves. Whereas you have other people who legitimate, legitimately have had experiences where their chronic pain has been, you know, eased in a much easier way than with prescription drugs. So, you know, it's kind of a gray area because you don't want to have someone suffer needlessly for something that they're actually doing by the book, you know, that they're following the rules, they're going to a doctor, they're within the legal limits, you know, but at the same time, it's been a slippery slope. You know, the debate of marijuana started as a medical remedy and it's kind of expanded to a recreational uh, activity now. 
you know, where some states you can take weed only to address medical issues, but now others are just recreationally letting you do it regardless what's going on. So, uh, but it's very interesting to see. The one thing we haven't seen yet, and one thing I'm looking out for is, you know, what's, what's it going to be like to have people freely smoking weed with what we've been taught about how people are influenced by weed? You know, are you going to have DUIs that are involving weed? You know, are you going to have incidents where people are hurting themselves because they're under the influence? Uh, maybe they're making a rash decision to do something in terms of risky behavior that might hurt them or hurt others. You know, that doesn't involve a car. You know, they could just be out somewhere and decide, you know, to do something. The other thing is that, you know, who's regulating the weed that's being provided? You know, do we know what's in that weed that is being produced? Because not that's not coming from one source. And, you know, one issue that's also been out there has been synthetic weed and how that's been hurting, particularly teenagers and young people, because those who are more likely to consume it. So it's a big open window. But, you know, I think as Christians, you know, it goes back to if you really are going to be Christian and smoke weed, you have to, you know, you're going to have that challenge of being able to not let it take you away from a focus from God. And I wonder how do you do that? You know, is there a way to do that? You know, in my head, uh, can you be like a mega church preacher smoking weed every day and, you know, still being, you know, being within, um, you know, the parameters of what God wants you to be in terms of the particular lifestyle that you're supposed to lead as Christians? So um, it's a very big challenge. You know, I, I haven't seen it done yet, but, you know, who knows? There might be somebody out there that might show me otherwise. But it's been interesting because I do feel I haven't heard a lot from the Christian community about drug use. I mean, in terms of marijuana. So, you know, I'm kind of interested to see where that pendulum falls because, you know, it's not something I'm really hearing in the pulpit at all. You know, um, my particular church is a social justice church. So I hear about it from that end. But beyond that, I don't, you know, I'm kind of interested to see what is the take, you know, from the Christian community or evangelical community about marijuana use as it pertains to pastors and preachers you know be using it um i haven't i haven't seen any pastors or preachers openly admit to using it not to say they're not out there <laughs> they openly admit to but it but i haven't but i haven't seen yet i'm waiting for the you know the big mega church guys to come out and you know say something about weed one way or the other but they kind of don't touch the subject so with you know there could be a reason why <laughs> so. Well, it, it is a very sensitive uh, subject, and you know I, I feel that the devil has once again um, misguided and have you know tricked and lied and shenagled people into believing that you don't need God. Here, you can smoke this; you'll feel better instantly. You don't need God; He can't heal you. And that's not true. It's simply not true. God created the universe. Since he right. created the universe and everything in it, you don't think, listener, he can't heal you of whatever debilitating issue you are going through every day, right? He can. But remember, it's all based on your faith. You have to have faith. You don't even need that much. Faith the side of a mustard seed can move a mountain. 
So a mustard seed is, is about the size of a pinhead. Right. That's all you need to get your healing. But that's significant. That mustard seed of faith is significant. That's you being on your knees, praying to God, reading the word, fasting, praying, 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 and trusting God, being obedient. You have to do all those things and more. And then your healing will come to you. I don't think God wants his people to suffer, any of us to suffer. We're going to suffer some, yes, because we're human. We're human. These bodies need maintenance. These bodies are breaking down. And, you know, we, Brother Rob and I, we, we both look very young. I think, what, you're in your early, late 30s? Uh, Rob? Yeah. See, I was thinking late 30s, he looks so young. <laughs> I'm 55. I don't look my age. And, no. you know, but we both have aches and pains that we didn't have 15, 20 years ago. So, right. you know, it comes with the territory. I think as you get older and your body gets older and you get closer to your mortality, um, those aches and pains are a reminder that your time on earth is precious and not to waste it. Can you imagine having the wisdom of a 70-year-old with the youth of a 20-year-old? Why would you need God? You would be a God in your mind that you could have the strength and vitality of a 20-something-year-old but still have your wisdom at a, as a 70-year-old? You, 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 you would not want to spend much time praying and listening to God and to his Holy Spirit. So, amen. I'm thankful for every little ounce of pain and dejection and whatever my body's doing. <laughs> I'm thankful for that because um, I will rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I will rebuke it in a heartbeat. But at the same point, I'm thankful because it's a reminder that our time is nigh. We were not put here to be on this earth in these bodies forever. You're here for, what, 70, 80 years, and then you're gone. And I know right. scientists just uh, finished mapping the human genome, and that's going to bring some good things and bad things to humans because sooner or later they're going to figure out how to arrest time to a degree and have the humans living longer. Can you imagine being able to live to 150 to 200 years, just like they did back in the Bible days? They even lived even longer back then. How are you going to feed all these people? Because back when Methuselah was here, who lived to be 969 years old, there was less people on this planet. So there was a lot more food to go around, probably. And who knows? I mean, you, you have to scale it. But uh, I, I'm digressing at this point. But um, well, I don't it's, been interesting, it's interesting to see the developments being made because it's not only developments made in health and longevity, but also in the conditions that cause uh, the issues that you mentioned, like poverty and hunger. Uh, for example, in Dubai, they recently, there was recently a news story the other day, and I talked about earlier this week, where they've been having um, really bad drought and, you know, more than normal. And they came up with a way that they placed drones, they flew drones into the sky, sent out electrical charges to basically compel the water molecules in the air to start forming clouds and create precipitation and they ended up having rainstorms they basically ended up being able to create rainstorms from using electrified drones so you know with and speaking to droughts and issues and stuff like that if you continue to see scientific uh developments like that taking place you know it's going to be a very interesting place to live where you have people living longer but 
you're having conditions that, you know, are going to be exaggerated because the population is growing and not declining at the rate that it used to. And see, I don't, I don't feel living longer. I don't see it as a, as a good thing for this reason. You know, if you can live to be 150 to 200 and still have the vitality of a, let's say a 60 year old, you know, once again, it, it leads to that mindset of, well, I'm sort of a God because I have all this wisdom, but I also have my vitality as well. So as, as science uh, continues to move down that track or move forward, one of the things that's always behind science is, and technology is ethics. What do we do with all these technological advances that we have out there? How, how are we really benefiting society? But I don't think, I personally don't feel uh, marijuana other than medical marijuana. If you can't have faith in Jesus to heal your body, then I can, I can see why some people who are going through debilitating pain, and I don't want them to see any human suffer, you know, um, I'd rather for you to smoke marijuana than to be hooked on morphine or some other drug to help with your pain because marijuana is a natural thing. And I've never heard of anybody high on marijuana robbing a bank <laughs> <laughs> or doing some other egregious crime while being high on marijuana, even though statistically, I, I've, I read some interesting stats over the years that um and it, and it varies from study to study but it's a significant uh, percentage saying that uh, people who are chronic marijuana smokers usually wind up graduating into harder drugs and someone in my family basically said who was a chronic smoker that it makes sense because your body gets conditioned to the effect of what the marijuana does to you so unless somebody figures out a way of making more potent grade of marijuana, you, you plateau after a while and you don't get that same high. So that would explain why a lot of people graduate into harder drugs that can really just totally blow your mind. And I, to me, Brother Rob, it's just funny because as soon as you come back down to earth, you still got to deal with whatever problems you had. You know, right. a lot of those people don't want to go out and, and work hard in life that are chronic smokers. It's just interesting. I, I just. Yeah, there's, <clears throat> there's different ways, you know, that are not as easy as smoking a, mar a marijuana joint. But, you know, usually if you're looking at someone who's dealing, who's smoking marijuana to deal with an emotional uh, state of mind, that there's usually other options that are safer and more connected and in line with God. And, you know, that kind of brings us to our second topic, which is gun violence and what we've been seeing. But this has been kind of skewed because, you know, overall for the past 30 years, crime has been on a decline. And it's been on a decline that experts, or really I would say the last 40 years now, it's been on a decline, but it, experts have not been able to actually figure out the reason why crime has been declining. But then too, now we're in this, if you look at just the last two years, you're in a situation where we've had COVID, where you had people lose their job and be locked in their home at the same time, basically. And with those conditions, you know, are we seeing crime and uh, spike in violence because of the more recent conditions that we're seeing in terms of people not having jobs, having more free time, uh, not having money, uh, not being able to go out and just 
connect with other people? You know, or, or is the gun violence we're seeing something else, you know, in terms of being assigned or something that, you know, hasn't been addressed? Um, Brother Fred, you know, what do you think in terms of the gun violence that we've seen while we're seeing these spikes in crime? Well, I looked up a stat for 2020. There was 20,000 people in America killed by gun violence in 2020, and 40,000 were injured. So, I mean, to me, that's an alarming number. If you look at it, it being 50 states spread out over 12 months, um, that's, that's just too high. I mean, it, right. I, I didn't get a chance to look up uh, other years I just stuck to last year. And I, and I think that a lot of last year was people out of work, people uh, upset over this COVID uh, disease and people have lost people due to COVID. And um, it, it, there's a lot of lot going on with the country as far as the, uh, the elections and, you know, our and, uh, the president switching over to our new president. It's, it's, it's just a lot of craziness right now. And the country's divided and, you know, both sides want to go grab guns and show their support for this and that. And um, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. I personally feel about guns this way. And, you know, listener, I was in the military for 20 years, uh, Air Force guy. So I wasn't, you know, in the Air Force and the Navy, unless you do specific jobs, you're not walking around with a gun all the time. So, and that was my choice. My dad was Green Beret Special Forces. So he did walk around with a gun all the time for a living. But that's not what I wanted for myself. I, I wanted to support my country. But I want to focus more on the technology side of things because I'm a technological guy. I can handle my own. I shot marksmen. Um, I'm trained in martial arts. And I'm, I'm very well versed with it. And I used, to, I used to even teach at one point in my life. But um, you know, I've always felt guns are, are a necessary evil. You have to be able to protect yourself. I don't think cops can, the police, while they do work very hard, can respond fast enough to handle every situation. And if you've got somebody that breaks into your house that wants to do some harm um, or is, is about to attack you on the streets, and I have, you know, like the stand your ground law in Florida, I have mixed feelings about that. Why do you need to walk... It's like the, like the old West where you're just walking around with a gun on your hip, daring somebody to look at you wrong. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about places like Texas and, and Florida where you got guns out in open display? And do you think it deters crime or it just makes the gun toting member a little more boisterous and confident? Well, it's very challenging because, you know, on the one hand, you know, you have people who have guns because of fear. You know, that they do, that if they do encounter a situation they can't handle, that the gun can. But if you are a person who follows the news a lot, or if you look at the stats of who's getting shot, you're seeing that usually you're more likely to shoot yourself or someone in your household accidentally will shoot themselves or be shot just because of the presence of the gun in your home versus the likelihood that someone's going to break into your house and you're actually going to shoot somebody. And, you know, it makes for a very scary situation. You know, you hear a lot in the news where, <clears throat> you know, you, sometimes be like a sheriff, a sheriff who has, who's cleaning their gun and their kid accidentally gets a hold of it, you know, for some reason. Or, you know, you hear the situations where, you know, always the tragic situations where kids are playing in their home and happen to find where the adult hit the gun and, you know, one kid accidentally shoots the other. 
you know, not realizing, you know, what they're doing. So it's just, it's very, you know, I think the one thing I've always seen in courage was, you know, very, a wide range of things. You know, some people were trained in the martial arts. I think that was always a great way for people to defend themselves that if you're trained in martial arts, you're more likely, I feel, to be effective against someone coming into your house. Um, even like old school martial arts, you know, where you just, you know, whip somebody's you know what, as they would say. Uh, in the incident, in the instance of um, L. Kuja, about two, three years ago, uh, the rapper L. Kuja had an intruder in his house, and he just beat him down in the house. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, no L, L style, right? <laughs> yeah, he just took it. You know, he's from Queens, so he just gave him a queen style welcome. <laughs> so that, that to me is actually more. I feel, I feel that uh, you know that's usually the better way to go because at least you're not. I feel that when you have a gun in the house, regardless how well trained you are, regardless where it's locked, regardless of the security or any of that, you know, it kids are smart little beings and <laughs> they very easily, for some reason, the one thing you do not want them to find is the one thing that they can find by instinct so easily, you know, as four-year-olds, as six-year-olds, as eight-year-olds, whatever. And children, are, and I always say children are actually more observant than we give them credit for. You know, we think that they're sitting there and they're cute and they're just, you know, singing a song in their head, you know, while they're swinging their legs and, you know, they're just being in the background. But, you know, children are very, very resourceful and they're very smart. And unfortunately, that's very true when it comes to guns. And so, you know, for me, I've always felt that at the end of the day, you know, if you could, if you take like martial arts training, that's one way to handle those situations. Uh, one of my friends who's a woman, she keeps a, she just keeps a um, very large knife near her bed. That's how she would, that's how she felt safe though. She didn't have a gun, but if an intruder came in, she can grab her knife and start stabbing, you know? <laughs> and it's like, right. I felt that, but I thought that was smart. I was like, you know, okay, that makes sense. You know, if you don't have a gun, then if you're really worried about, you know, being alone and not being able to fend off, a burglar or somebody who's come to your house unannounced, if you got a knife, you got a pretty good chance of, of um, doing, you know, doing, protecting yourself. Well, let's go into the psychology of that, right? Yeah. Most statistically, most people who rob houses are usually unarmed. We're talking right. about somebody with a drug habit or somebody exactly. wants to grab something and jump back out the window real quick. They're not, they're not there for a scuffle. They're not there to tie you up and, and slap you around for 40 minutes asking you where the jewelry is hidden. How do you get into your hidden safe? We're not talking about those, those type of people. We talk about the people that get in and out. So one way to regain the element of surprise is for you to have a weapon, whether it be a gun or a knife. So yeah, she would regain the element of surprise because who expects somebody to wake up out of their sleep swinging a knife at them? They wouldn't right. expect that. So right. That's actually kind of with a knife, you're less likely to kill yourself in your house. Absolutely. And somebody like me, I mean, I I use a knife like a uh, a Ginsu. A samurai. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be diving out the window to stop me from killing you, basically. But I wouldn't want to. I mean, that's I mean, all life is precious. But I'm going to definitely put you out of commission and, uh, you know, and I'm not going to sit there and tie you up and do all that because you're going to be sitting there holding your wounds to stop yourself from bleeding to death. So I ain't worried about you. Right. Um, and I think it goes back to what's portrayed. I'm always a big, uh, you know, a big, a big proponent of looking at 
what is it that's being portrayed publicly that people are thinking is going to happen in those scenarios? And usually in the news, you're not really hearing the scenarios where the burglar comes in and he gets there behind me, you know, or that, you know, they get stabbed or that they, they get beat down. You're hearing the story. You're hearing only the most or the worst stories right. of the burglaries where you hear, oh, this person came in. And, and the other thing, too, is usually if people are coming in and robbing and shooting you and all of that, usually those cases, too, are usually where you're a targeted person. Like either you're doing something bad that they're retaliating against. Or the other only scenario, of course, is what kind of what you mentioned as well, which is that they know that you have or they think you have some specific item of wealth in your home. And that's what they're really after. And, you know, your lives are just, you know, mere, you know, mere things to get out of their way to get that valuable uh, object. So, you know, it's it's a mix of things. But, you know, it's, it's like you said, all life is precious and I think at least from a biblical standpoint, you know, God would rather you have a knife and stab somebody or put some martial arts on someone than to have a gun in your house that could potentially take out someone's life accidentally or on purpose. Yeah. So, but you know, from your perspective, you know, what do you feel the Bible says about gun violence? Well, this is misnomer that just because you are a saint, just because you believe and Jesus Christ is being your Lord and Savior that, you know, you're incapable of defending yourself or simply won't defend yourself. And that's not true because if you remember King David, King David was a warrior. Right. I mean, up until the time he took out Goliath and passed that, David was constantly fighting wars for a long time. So, and God sanctioned that. Um, right. And you may say, oh, it's the old school Bible days, but we're still in the Bible days. And I feel you have the right to defend yourself. You know, just okay. because you're a believer in God doesn't mean you just let anybody that wants to walk into your house harm your family. You have a right to defend yourself. But you also have an obligation as a believer to protect life as much as possible. So, you know, just because somebody's breaking into your house and you pull your gun on them, if you have to shoot them, okay, try not to kill them. So don't shoot them eight, nine, 10, 12 times, reload and keep shooting. <laughs> That's not how this works. I mean, you shoot them once. If you see that they are down and out, then it's over. You call the cops. There's some people who and... want to have AK-47s for that. <laughs> Why do you need an AK-47, an AR-15, an M-16 to guard your house? If you can't do it with a 9 mil, you can't do it well you don't at all. Yeah. Most of these people who own these big guns like that don't even know how to use them that well. <laughs> this is stuff to show their friends. Look what I got. I got an AR-15. Let's go out in the backyard. <laughs> and they're all over the place, you know? So I at least have some respect for like in the Midwest, you have a lot of gun ranges where they're teaching families, young kids, adults, teenagers, how to use these semi-automatic weapons correctly. Okay, I mean, that's the lesser of the evils, but, you know, I heard the one case about the young girl who shot and killed herself on the range. Yeah. Um, or she killed someone else accidentally. So these both these of those weapons, stories happen. Yeah, you know I mean? these these weapons are dangerous, and it's not. I don't think children should be handling these things. But then again, you go over to the Middle East in Israel, and you know you could have a yeah. child field strip in Afghanistan and places like that. They could field strip an AK with their eyes closed and put it back together better than most special forces. So you know, it. I, I feel it's necessary. But here's my thing. 
I, you know, how do we keep the guns out of people's hands that are irresponsible and shouldn't have them? And I asked that question for this reason. We already talked about, you know, why do you need an AR or an AK or whatever to guard your house? But if you look at the stats and, you know, some of those stats I mentioned in 2020 was gang related and yeah. a lot of innocent people do get hit with straight bullets from gang related members that are shooting at each other and everything. But a lot of the mass shootings last year was due to people who shouldn't have had guns to begin with. And in most of those situations, they got them legally. How right. do we get guns out of these people's <clears throat> hands who are mentally impaired? What do you think? Well, I think that's a, you know, that's been a big concern, you know, in terms, and it even kind of segues into our next topic of politics, where, you know, the politics of that issue is what is at the forefront. You know, we have a culture that was cultivated by a industry association who's looking to sell a product and now we have a we have a country where like you said people can buy guns legally who should not have them and it causes mass hysteria and what's interesting is we're you know we're seeing a rise in that again <clears throat> as people are starting to uh leave their homes under the lifted restrictions of covid but i think at the end of the day it's an issue that you know, it's easily solvable, but, you know, it's just people have a hard time sitting down and really letting go of some of the things that, you know, they believe in for the sake of basically dying on their hill. And, you know, one thing I used to reflect on with my friend, especially something I saw starting last year, is that people are willing to die over having a point of view, which is, and, and it kind of goes to a little biblical thing of, letting your pride lead instead of letting God lead, you know, where people have a pride about something and they're so entrenched in the pride of not being defeated in the point that they're trying to hold on to that it's leading them in places and leading them to make decisions and leading them to support things that on the surface don't make sense. And in second, aren't really practical. You know, there is no reason for a person to be able to anybody just to go online and buy a gun at the same time that you also when you if you were to buy that gun in person you'd have to go through a background check which you wish you should um even these small simple things you know all the arguments that people come up with um the one thing i'm seeing and observing in politics is that it comes down to more of just staking in over a point rather than really sitting down and trying to resolve an issue and uh, you know that's what i feel is you know one thing we're seeing very prominently in our country but I think because we have different forces at work, um, social media has been a big conduit for being able to channel and to direct those type of point of views that allow us to be in like the stalemate that we've been seeing politically. And, you know, so we're in an era, we're kind of in an era where we're seeing things that are more, um, candidly speaking, just, you know, outstanding and amazing and i don't say outstanding in a good way but that the views that people have the things they're willing to support the things they're willing to say and rationalize just for you know their team quote unquote winning as they would say um even the things that we're permitting you know we're almost at a place where we're seeing people who have 
sexually harmed minors still being looked at as people who should represent you in the government. And that's a very, very troubling state of affairs that we're at that point where as long as this person holds my political point of view, I will overlook some very big transgressions that I would not personally overlook in my personal life. So, uh, you know, and that's not godly at all. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you know, God has always been about, you know, people talking together or, you know, as they always say, God is love. You know, that kind of starts first, that disrespecting your fellow man and starting there. And then looking at ways that, you know, people can come together. I think that's something that, you know, I feel people say that and encourage that in politics, but you just have two forces. And I feel the political system has become uh, an environment where, you know, the deepest, darkest, demonic forces can have a say and influence on some of the things that are taking place in our society. And I think that's the real big thing that we're really seeing today. The one thing that's very scary that, um, you know, we're just seeing, <clears throat> we're seeing things that we never had to deal with before because some things were assumed off limits. Some things were assumed that we didn't have to have a discussion about this because we all agreed this was wrong. But, you know, now we're, now those discussions are going out the window because we cannot even come together to agree on what is a fact to start a debate. So, you know, it's, it's a very troubling time, but it kind of speaks to what you said earlier, where, you know, what we're seeing sometimes is the influence of the devil, basically, you know, having his hand and trying to uh, make things frantic and confusing. And in that environment, that's the environment in which he thrives. But, you know, you know, what are your, what's your take on, in general, the politics we're seeing today and how that applies to uh, how Christians, you know, have the challenges that they'll have in their lives to stay committed to a Christian lifestyle? Well, we're, I mean, it, you can see it across the board. I mean, the churches have become social clubs and uh, because society has pushed back uh, against them so fiercely that, you know, they're afraid to speak out against certain issues. Like you mentioned earlier about them afraid to speak out against marijuana use. Um, you don't see many pastors sitting there talking about gun violence. And, you know, going back to gun violence real quick before I move any further with, with your question, I feel they could do a lot. I mean, uh, nobody's against the NRA's beef that this is your constitutional right to bear arms. Okay, fine. But how do we get the guns out of people who are mentally unstable? Well, last year, we had to report every COVID test that was done had to be reported to the state. Why can't we have every uh, physician who's treating someone for mental issues? And I'm not talking about you're a little depressed because your wife left you for your brother type issues. I'm talking about people who have diagnosed mental illnesses that stops them from having normal jobs, normal lives. These people are able to get guns. Why can't their names be put into a database that goes to the state so the information is protected like everybody else's, right? And if you go to buy a gun, they look up, go into that database and see if John Doe is in there with mental issues. And if he is, and he has a diagnosed disorder, sorry, Mr. Doe, you can't buy a gun. Why can't we do that? We did it for COVID. We had all our information sent to the state 
in every state for COVID, how do you think we got all these stats? So but I think that, we're at a point. We're at a point in politics or in this country where it's just all about dying on your hill. Like if I give in to you, that's a weakness. Or if I give, not even give in, but just to say, if I come to some term of common ground with the person who's supposedly my enemy or my opposition, that that's the death. You know, that's like that's far worse than just coming to a sensible common ground place like you mentioned you know just the fact that you're agreeing or coming to some type of agreement or working with the other person is in of itself a a sin among these people i hate to say it like that <laughs> you know and and whatever i'm gonna say whatever god they're worshiping you know the political the god of politics or the god of pride you know and but that's where it all lies like you know it's even you know, it's almost pointless to even mention, you know, sensible stuff because that's off the table. You know, it's basically, can I get an office, can I get you an office and can you basically pass all these laws and policies that the other person hates and I'm going to be happy about those laws? Not because I really believe in those laws, but because the other person doesn't and they're more happy. And, you know, I think that's, that's a sad state of affairs for us as a country, but that's where we are, you know, and it's, and it's interesting. I wonder myself, what will it take to change? You know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's a very hard thing to change. You know, I don't think you're going to have, a, I don't think this is the issue where you just have a president coming to office who unifies everybody. That's not where we're not, that's not where we're at. <laughs> we're, we're not going to be there for a long time. And no. I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> I was listening to these group of evangelists and they're very famous evangelists and they were talking about, you know, you can hear them hinting on the fact that, uh, you know, with, with President Biden in charge, America has become more loosey-goosey in its beliefs and how we need, uh, you know, some firm in office like President Trump who kept things in tow and this and that. And I said, you got to be kidding. I, do I feel that Biden is right 100%? No. But do I feel that Trump, President Trump, was right 100% either? No. So I don't think either is 100% right. I think they both no. did things well. I think they both needed a, a major overhaul in other things. Right. And I think that, you know, kind of takes us into our next topic, you know, with COVID, because that's obviously something that, that issue you just mentioned was at the center of the response to COVID and vaccine, you know, some doing well in some other areas and others um, who needed an overhaul in the way that they approach things. Uh, you know, with COVID today, it's interesting to see that, you know, when you're looking at COVID as a Christian, it's, not, it's easy to go to the Bible and talk about all the plagues that, you know, were mentioned in the Bible and why those plagues were allowed to take place. Uh, you know, from your view, what do, what do you think is happening, you know, when looking at the COVID and the vaccine issue from the perspective of a Christian. Well, one of the things I, one of my hobbies, brother Rob, and you, you already know this, I love theater. I'm a, right. the, I'm a classically trained theater actor and I just love it. I love theater. I love being able to put on a stage performance. And, you know, we, we practice for weeks, sometimes months, just to put on a performance for two weekends and it's over. But I think what's happening now with the world, we're doing stage dressing, play, 
of performance that the enemy is putting out there because he knows he's going to get his time period during Daniel's timeline to run his campaign and basically try to finish taking over the world because he was given dominion over the earth uh, when he was kicked out of uh, third heaven, heaven, heaven. But I think this COVID, I think what's happened in politics, the gun violence, the drugs, we're being conditioned, if you will. We're being conditioned to get used to certain realities that we would never accept if we weren't conditioned when Daniel's timeline occurs. Because when, when Daniel's timeline occurs, and that's basically God's wrath on this earth for people who don't believe in him, who may have backslidden into this world or Luciferians, you know, anybody that's following Satan, basically, they're not going to have a pleasant time. So they're being, everybody's being conditioned to get ready for these things. So when they get at a heightened level during the tribulation period, it's not going to be a foreign thing to you. Why do you think that Hollywood is making all these movies about alien invasions? Because it's going to happen one day. Why do you think in terms of just stepping back, in just terms of um, expanding on what you're talking about, how would the virus exactly or literally put us in a place where we would then be more open to, you know, Daniel's timeline? You know, like, for example, if we're in a situation where we're being more aware publicly of, of public health, you know, how of vaccines, you know, are we more vulnerable to a timeline because we're more worried? Are we more are we more vulnerable because we're being more cautious? Uh, how, how do you see the, our response to the vaccine as being what's, what would make one more susceptible to Daniel's timeline? Well, I think we're being conditioned for the mark of the beast. The mark okay. of the beast started um, really when, when Satan went to Eve and tricked her into eating the apple. It took a great leap during the uh, Tower of Babel time period, uh, a great shift in his camp in the, its evil campaign, but I, I feel that this co this vaccination process is going to take a head during the tribulation period, where to get the market you're gonna you know to receive the market of beast you got to get this chip. I think part of the market of beast is going to be an implant of some sort of chip technology. And I think they're gonna sell this via getting you used to doing it now by getting this vaccine. Because they, had, they passed a bill, listener. They passed a bill, it's called the Trace Act bill, where whenever they're ready, they could flip that switch and order every American to get this vaccine. And once they implant that chip into you, that chip is going to have the lot number and expiration date of the vaccine that you have. And as proof, there'll probably be some sort of app on a phone that could read your uh, chip to make sure you got the vaccine and you won't be able to enter a school, work, hospital, go to the grocery store. You won't be able to do anything without this. Well, that's part of the market of beast. That's part of the market of beast. Now, it does say this in the Bible, which is interesting. And I know a lot of people I've talked to who are religious are afraid to get the vaccine because they automatically say, this is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of the beast. No, not yet. 
not yet. There's, there are many things that have to take place before the mark of the beast comes to fruition. And it hasn't, those things haven't happened yet. And we'll, I, I, I guess we'll, we can always tackle that in another podcast, what's going to happen during that timeline. But um, those things haven't happened yet. And when you get the mark of the beast, it won't be any guesswork. You're gonna, you have to volunteer to take it. Not being forced to get it, you're going to volunteer to take it. And trust me, when the wheels fall off the wagon of this world, when there are hundreds of meteors hitting, meteors hitting this planet, when every structure, it says in the Bible that every structure is going to get shaken to the earth. Every mountain, every home, every building. When people are running for their lives, when they're that fearful, when they... You know, there's going to be millions of people gone that they can't account for. So all these apocalyptic-like movies where, say, art imitates life, it's basically that. Those things are going to happen in a future state. They're going to happen. So, so then what do you advise for a Christian to do then when, you're, when they're in this situation right now where we're in a world where, you know, right now 99% of people who are not vaccinated or making up the cases of people dying from the vac- from COVID, you know, do they refrain from getting it based on religious exemptions or do you get it but you pray or you know what is it that you feel a person today a a christian who wants to be right with god should be doing you know amid these times well there's a lot of different things going on there are things that the holy spirit revealed to me about uh this COVID 19 um, there are things I know because I was in the military and I did some work with the, you know, spec ops community towards the end of my career. Uh, I'm, I'm a clinical laboratory scientist. Uh, there's, there's a, I have a degree in psychology. So there's a lot of different things that's going on with this. I think as a believer, you, you know, from the scientific standpoint, right now the vaccine won't hurt. There's proof out there that it will help you even. But you know, to me, it's a roll of the dice because I don't, you can't really trust the government. Is, is the government ever always giving us the right answer? And I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to mention any names, but there's some people high up in our government that's, that, that are doctors, MDs, but you don't see these people coming out and saying, well, just get outside and get your vitamin D levels up and that'll help keep your immune system intact better so that you could fight things like this COVID. But they don't say these things, but they will sit back all day and say, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. And you have all this data that's out there, but is the data skewed? Is it all accurate? Working for the government for 20 years, I can guarantee you that not all of it's accurate. Not all of it is too true to the point. I think most of it is. I think that the getting a vaccine is a good thing for right now. This is not, listener, it's not the mark of the beast. We're going to know it when the mark of the beast is here. The mark of the beast, one point I'm going to mention about when the mark of the beast is going to come to fruition is going to be after the man of perdition stands in the rebuilt third temple and declares himself as God. That hasn't happened yet. They haven't rebuilt the third temple in Israel yet. And the man of perdition hasn't stood in the temple and declared himself as God. And he's going to be doing all these signs and wonders, basically little fizzle magic tricks to make people believe he is Jesus, 
descended onto this planet because he mocks and scoffs everything that Jesus is going to do or has done, the devil will mock and scoff. So when that has occurred, the mark of the beast is not going to be too far behind that. That hasn't occurred yet. So listener, don't worry about, you know, this vaccine being the mark of the beast, which by the way, the mark of the beast is not just some sort of mark on your right hand, which is basically that chip technology implanted. It's also a mark on your forehead to imply what's the forehead, the seat of your knowledge, your brain. So it's symbolically, it means your brain. Well, we've been prepped for the mark of the beast in, in our generation since you've been born. Here's proof of that. What day do most people worship and go to church? On Sunday. Sunday. <clears throat> Sunday. Listener, I'll let you look up the origin of how we got to Sunday. Sunday is not the Sabbath. I'm telling you that now. And Jesus very simply, God very simply said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So we're not honoring the Sabbath by going to church and praising the Lord on a Sunday. And we'll have to leave it at that point as we're running out of time now for this episode. Um, but as always, a great discussion and great topics. And particularly this one, as we're looking at major news developments and on a daily basis coming at us as Christians and looking to figure out how do we as Christians navigate all the things that are coming at us. So with that, um, thank you, Brother Fred, for enlightening us with that discussion. Uh, as always, you can check us out on the place where you get your local podcasts. You can also check us out on social media. Uh, go to our Facebook page, Discipleship Bible Study Group, where you can access our episodes, our links to our episodes, and leave comments as well. You know, as far as today's discussion, listener, what do you think? What is your opinion on the things that we talked about today? Uh, we look forward to reading those. And so with that, have a good week. We'll be back next week. And God bless. God bless you all. And Brother Fred, why don't you uh, take us out with a prayer? I'll be glad to. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once again for uh, being our Lord and Savior, watching over us and protecting us from all harm, dear God. We know that you said in your word, dear Lord, that, you know, we're not going to get out of this unscathed. There's going to be trials and tribulations we have to go through, but you also promised us that you would get us through every trial and tribulation. But we got to have faith and believe in you. We know that the enemy is hard at work, Father God. We know that the battle that is being waged since time began, since Satan was kicked out of heaven, has already been won at Calvary by your great sacrifice, dear Jesus. So let's step up as believers that we are, and claim our victory, Father God. We, had, we do not need to live in fear on this planet with all these things that are occurring. We know that they are distractions by Satan to try to discredit our Lord and Savior, to discredit his ministry through us, and we're not going to have it, Father God. So give us the strength and courage, as the only the Holy Ghost can do, to keep us fired up and pushing forward for the Lord. And we ask all these wonderful things, dear Lord, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Amen. And with that, that's our episode. So we look forward to joining you, listener, joining us next week for another episode of the podcast, Discipleship Bible Study Group.
DBSG. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen.